This is such a holy moment. I didn't expect this. I just felt led of the Lord just to share with you guys what was happening. Um, other than our own people, we have not shared that vision and that strategy. Uh, we haven't shared this with, with only outside of uh, our group. And uh, this, this, you're the only ones that we really have felt the freedom to disclose this to because this is what we feel like is a very special, secret, under the radar, under the, under the cover strategy that God has given us for Harrisburg. And I've watched many pastors come there and broadcast and tell everybody the, the, their strategy <laughs> and try to get bunches of people to rally around it. But that plays right into the enemy's hand. I mean, who would go in and tell your enemy, you know, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and God has told us to keep this very secret and just let him do it for us to do it. And so we felt the freedom to share it with you because we know you'll pray and we know that you'll unite with us in this. This is very different. It's uh, very different, but it's not new. That's, this is how the early church began. They started in the home. And, um, and it took us a while. It took me a while, too, to finally get it. <laughs> kept moving out and trying to get into a building and the Lord kept no start in the home. Yeah, but we've got to reach the community. Start in the home. But we gotta reach families, then start in the home. And uh only he can do this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain <laughs> who build it. And so we don't wanna have any more uh vain labor. And I certainly don't wanna labor in our own strength. And, uh, and out of our own ideas. Uh, when, you, when God makes you a creative person, it's easy to be full of ideas and have a lot of good ideas. But how many of you learned the difference between good ideas and God ideas? <laughs> and I don't have any more time to waste with any more of my good ideas. Uh, good ideas may last you a, a few months, maybe even a few years, but it will have no eternal lasting value. It won't be something that you can pass on to the next generation. And so I know God wants to do something completely, completely different uh, to bring his presence into the city. I remember one time, and I'm totally, I probably won't even get to what I plan to share today, but I remember one time the Lord gave me this incredible dream, and uh, I saw rivers of water rushing through the streets of Harrisburg. Yes, yes. And we were on like a raft, and we couldn't control it. And like white water rafting, you can't, you can't control it, you can't steer it, all you can do is ride with it. We can just ride with the waves, and that's what I've seen, that his move is gonna be so powerful that no minister no pastor, no church, no organization will be able to control the revival that is coming. Which, come on, just say yes, Lord. <laughs> and that's not only for Harrisburg, but I know that's for this region, that's for this state. For this is indeed the Keystone State. But one of the things God is doing with all of us, he's teaching us how to get our hands off of it. Quit trying to strategize it. Quit trying to predict it. You know, sometimes we act like we're the weatherman with God. We're going to try to predict what the weather's going to be. You know, we want to give a forecast of what's going to happen, and God's going to, and God's going to. No, we don't know. Come on, let's just say it. I don't know what God's going to do. 
All I know is that it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And how about, here's the best part. I don't want to try to control it. One of the failures that we made in the body of Christ in America is when revival would break out in different parts of this nation, we, you know, everybody would rush to that city or that place. And then we start, then we start doing the American thing. We're going to now can it, mass produce it, duplicate it, distribute it, advertise it, market it, instead of just letting God do what God does. Yes, Lord. And then, yes, <laughs> and take it back home. That's what we're talking about. How many of you sense that this morning? Yes, Lord God. And I, and I wanted, I feel like it's something he wants us to, uh, here is the word. It's almost like he's saying, just get used to that, the fact that it's going to be that way. It's just going to be that way. We will not be able to control what God is doing. This has to totally be in his hands. Um, it's like a tidal wave. <laughs> it's a tidal wave. We can't control that. Here's the, and I, I rem, we were, saw this particular video clip that's talked about this current move of God that's happening all over the world. And it's not just Harrisburg. This is happening all over the world. Do you know that we, saw, we found a statistic, there's 112 million Christians all over the world that don't meet in traditional church setting. Most, and it's not by choice. They have to meet in their homes because of the, the nations that they live in, because of the laws, and then others by choice. But eventually, I can see a day coming in America, because I, I sense great revival is coming to America, but it's just not going to be the way that we're thinking it's going to come. It's not the huge stadium gatherings. There was a time when that was necessary in America. It was necessary because we needed to proclaim the name of Jesus and it needed to, it needed to be proclaimed boldly and in large scale like that. But somehow we got caught up in the bigness and the magnitude and, the, and how grand it was. And then you had local pastors and ministers then comparing themselves to those who God used in that way. When God raised up Billy Graham and we saw, that was the first time most of us, we has ever seen anything like that. Thousands and thousands of people gathering in stadiums to hear the gospel. But God didn't want that to become the model to be followed. The model was still small. Meet in your house. Meet in a small group. Gather in a local assembly. But not everybody try to build something huge because God knew that the day would come in America where our families are so disconnected that the big huge gathering wouldn't mean anything. You know that even in the music industry with all of the uh, with all of what has happened in social media even the music industry is struggling because kids today don't automatically gravitate toward the big, huge, massive concerts. Why? Because they can pull out their phone and watch their favorite artists anytime they want. <laughs> so even social media has just changed the dynamic. The big, huge gathering, it doesn't carry the attraction that it used to carry. Um, part of the reason why they did carry that big attractions was because 
you didn't see people all of the time. Remember growing up, everybody? Remember the 50s and 60s, and the only time you could see somebody or the 70s was on television? So when they came to town, it was a big deal because you hardly ever got a chance to see them. Well, now, since people can see things and experience things all the time, now the big gathering doesn't have the significance. So what's going to make it significant? First of all, Jesus. The presence of the Lord is what has to make it significant. And people need the family connection. They do not have father. They don't know what father, mother means. They have no idea. They don't even know what friendship means. We talked with the pastor in Harrisburg. He brought us there a couple of weeks ago to his congregation. And because he was experiencing the same thing that we have experienced, a church plant right there in Allison Hill, um, and his and because the ministry and they've been there for four or five years now and they still haven't been able to get people to come and the ministry just kind of dropped off to the point where they weren't even having services anymore just still but he was still meeting with his leadership team and so grief had set in you know at the because of the loss mourning grief discouragement so he brought us in to kind of talk with them and to share with his leaders from out of our story and then uh, to kind of figure out where we are now and where we're going to go from here. When I share that with you because they are discovering, even with a, with a church building and a team, they still couldn't get people to come. In our first session with them, wow, God, I didn't know you are going to have us sharing all of this, but we'll go here. <laughs> In our first session with them, um, we were just giving them a kind of an overview of all the things that we wanted to talk and share with them about. And in walked three people from the community who sat down and started listening as Carol and I were talking with them about the way people think in the inner city. And so these three people suddenly interrupted the conversation and said, that's exactly right. That man, that's it, that's exactly how we feel. That's exactly what's going on. And so they uh, began to pour out and talk about the things happening in their lives. One brother, the young man was there. He had been in prison. He just got out. So people from the street, they just come out and they just tell everything. You know, they haven't, they haven't learned the church thing where it's like, don't tell everybody everything. <laughs> and they just poured it out. You know, I've been locked up and all of that. And one woman talked about how, uh, yeah. She talked about how, um, she was trying to reconnect with her father who um, was sick and in the hospital and how uh, other family members were trying to prevent that because of the things that she had done in her life. She had been involved in drugs at one time and they didn't want her, they didn't want her around and how that hurt her because she had changed her life. She was getting, had gotten her life back together and was trying to reconnect at, um, with family again, but they, they weren't allowing her. They, uh, didn't trust her. Yeah. And another woman talked about how her, her son and her bad relationship with her son and yeah. how the, yeah, she had been on drugs. A lot, got a lot of cases where, and this happens a lot with folks that have been on drugs, they burned a lot of bridges. And so by the time they, they, they try to get their lives together, all the people that they hurt along the way don't want any connection with them anymore. Can you see why God would say you need to start in a home? Because even when people try to change, 
their own family doesn't want to have anything to deal with to do with them. So here we are with these three people all sharing their stories. They're just pouring out everything. So we actually kind of stop this meeting that we were trying to have with this pastor's leadership and started ministering to them, just speaking words of life over them. And then we had to have another pause and say, go back to the leaders and say, this is what we're talking about. You have to be willing to stop whatever it was that you planned, that when the people come in and they're opening up, you have to stop and take advantage of the opportunity. Because for three people to walk in, here we are trying to minister to this pastor's staff, people from the community walk in. Well, do we go on with the staff or do we stop and minister to the people? And so we had a live, God gave us a live moment example to say, this is what we're talking about. You have to be willing to stop whatever it was you were planning to do. And as much as we need, you know, that was part of what I had to share. As much as you're hurting, you're hurting because the church hasn't grown and the things we expected to happen haven't, haven't happened. But you have to push aside all of your own personal hurt and all the stuff that's going on and the disappointment. When these people walk in, this is the moment. You cannot assume that you'll get another chance with them. In fact, those people had promised, you know, next week we're going to be here next week and we want to really be here and all of that. And the very next week, two of them had been locked back up in prison again so we had the moment right then and there one plants another waters God gives the increase you can't assume that you'll get another chance to plant you can't assume you'll get another chance to water you have to take the moments when they come and see and when you're in a home setting or a small group setting you can stop and do that if we were in a setting like this and they did something like that, we would have to be like, well, excuse us, hold on, we'll have to talk with you after service. And then they're offended and they're hurt and they walk out the door before the service is over. <laughs> and that's just how it is. And so I'm just sharing, we're sharing that with you to say, God is moving in such an incredibly special way. It's an incredible Incredible and awesome, special way. Look like you're gonna say something. I can feel it. <laughs> I was just thinking that 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 was that's that is another um, opportunity that the Lord has been giving us. Um, to um, pastors have been asking us to come in to train their staff or their leadership in dealing with um, the homeless or the people who, uh, well, the people in their communities, um, to teach them. Um, what, how to be relational um, and not be religious or judgmental, but to take the time to listen, to love them where they are, to love them from where they are, you know, to where God wants to take them. Yeah. It's such a, it's, it's an incredible thing to watch it happen. You know, it, we, we're teaching, first of all, always pray. Always pray. Pray for the people. And I'm sharing that with you right now, not just for the sake of inner city and urban ministry, but right where you are right now with your own family. First and foremost, pray 
for your family, the ones that are irritating you, that are frustrating you, <laughs> the ones that have betrayed you, the ones that have used profanity, the la your, la your last conversation was full of profanity on, on their part, and they don't want to have anything to do with you, first of all, pray. Um, I sh we, we share with you guys, a f I think it was last year sometime, of how this lesbian couple asked us out to lunch. And of course, we were like, what in the world? What can we say? How, where do we even begin? And we started there. Prayer. We prayed for them. Uh, we don't even know where to go with this type of conversation. Where do we even start? So always begin in prayer. The next thing you must learn, we all must learn to do is to engage. And by engage, we mean um, when they, in, when they invite you into their life and into their story, re take the invitation. Because that's what happened. They invited us to lunch. We didn't say, you're gay, we can't go. No, if they invite you into their life, take the opportunity. Take the opportunity. Engage. The Apostle Paul said, when I told you to not have any dealings with uh, with." with with uh, worldly people, he said, I was not, or, or, or carnal people, I was not talking about the people of this world. He said, I was talking about someone who is who calls himself a brother and still lives like the world. Don't have any dealings with them. He said, if I had told you to not have any dealings with, with carnal, natural people, you'd have to lead the world because <laughs> that's all we've got. We must engage with them. And that means taking the risk like Jesus did with the woman at the well, being seen publicly with somebody that has a reputation. And believe me, uh, the, the concern was on our hearts. Like, okay, what if somebody from some church somewhere sees us at this restaurant with this couple that everybody knows, especially one of them. She's, she was openly gay and known quite well in Harrisburg. A strong, liberal, Democrat, progressive supporter. I mean, working in the presidential campaign uh, for, for Hillary Clinton and all of it. Everybody knew who she was. So imagine how that felt for us, that people are going to see us out to lunch with her. Because you know you're on the risk. It's like, well, Pastor Chris, are you saying that you're connecting now with, do you agree with them? Agree with them? Now you can see how it was as Jesus was interacting with people, with people wondering, okay, you've got, if you're, if you're dealing with tax collectors, which were thought of as collaborators with the Roman government, and Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, now can you see the strain Now can you see the intenseness of that? Jesus, are you a collaborator? Because that's who you're hanging out with. So you must agree with them if you're hanging out with them. But we must be willing to engage them. Even if it, quote, ruins my reputation. I've got no reputation to uphold. I know why we're there. And so as we sat down with them for lunch, here's, here's the next thing as believers we must learn to do, and that's ask questions. First, pray. 
Two, engage. Three, ask. Ask questions. Don't assume what a person's position is just because you know something about them. Don't assume that we already know what their stance is on certain topics and certain subjects. Ask. And we did ask. We asked this little question. So, what brought you to the point where you would make the decision to live this lifestyle? Isn't that a great way to ask without accusing? No accusation was in that question. I just want to know what brought you to this decision to live this lifestyle. See, it wouldn't have been a good place to start with um, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know what the Bible says about homosexuality. That's not a good place to start. Remember, pray, engage, receive their invitation. When you go in on the invitation, now ask. Don't assume that you know. That's really huge, too, because yeah. they're expecting you to be judgmental. They're expecting you to, to come at them. Um, because actually, the, they started the conversation yeah. by at, we know that you're, we know that you're a pastor, <laughs> and we know what the Bible says about they homosexuality. Say, we know what the Bible says. So what do you say? That's how they started. And I know you're, now you're wondering. So how did you answer their question? The way we answered their question was yes. Uh, the Bible clearly does say that it's wrong, but the Bible actually has more to say to me about how I'm supposed to treat you. And their eyes and their jaws dropped. And does that mean I accepted their lifestyle? No, but I answered the question. The Bible has more to say to me about how I'm supposed to treat you. Then ask the question, so how did you come to this lifestyle? And their answer was, yes, see, I got she said, <laughs> Mary's ready. And their answers was, one said, all of my life, it just seems like uh, men didn't love me. She said, my husband, my, first of all, my father was abusive. He didn't want me. And then when I got married, my husband was abusive and he didn't want me. So it just seemed I couldn't find a man who would want me. She said, I didn't go looking for a woman. I was just looking to be loved. You learn a lot when you just ask. Can you imagine all the judgmental questions that were still stirring inside of me that was suddenly just snatched away? Like, wasn't looking for a woman, was looking to be loved. And she loved me. She accepted me the way I was. Then came the worst part. And the people who rejected me the most was Christians. Father, husband. 
The other one, while listening to her partner tell her story, turns and looks because her story was the same. The other one, her father was a pastor. And her father was very hypocritical. She said she grew up in the 60s, came along in the 60s, did all the whole hippie thing, the whole, uh, was the Woodstock, all of that. And she, uh, she didn't have any problem with any ethnic group. So she, she didn't have, she said, not a racist bone in her body, just open and accepting to everybody. But she said, but I watched my father who would preach love on Sunday mornings but would not let me have any black friends. He was unloving, very religious. So she said, I went into the lifestyle really just out of rebellion <laughs> against my dad. And I didn't want to have anything to do with him or his God because he didn't live what he preached. You learn a lot when you ask. Are we saying we approve of their answers? No, but it places us in a, place, in a position where now I can understand. I wouldn't say this to them, but, I can, but now I understand how the enemy deceived you. Which gives us compassion for people when we see how they came to the places where they are now. Then she went on to say the same, had the same type of journey as her partner. And my husband, she got married, even had children, but her husband was abusive. So she got tired of playing in the back of her mind, this hypocritical dad and this abusive husband. So she began to look for love amongst women. In both of their cases, it was by choice. But they were open to other discussions because we took the time to listen to their story. Pray, engage, ask. And I just said what we did in the, as the next step. Listen. Listen to them. I didn't say accept their position. I'm not accepting their sin but listen to them. Um, listening is very different from just simply hearing. Uh, 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 many believers don't really listen. We, what we do is we wait for them to pause so that we can talk. <laughs> Come on, say yes, Lord, yeah. <laughs> While they're talking, I'm already thinking of four or five scriptures that I can give them. No, no, really listen. Because when you listen, the Holy Spirit will give you the one word that you need to say. You don't even have to try to sit there and figure out, you know, what are all the scriptures on homosexuality? What are all the No, no, just listen. Because if you listen, the Holy Spirit will give you the answer. By the time we left that conversation, and then the last one was respond, which is what I just told you. So remember those, pray, engage, ask, listen, respond. And when we, the response is gonna come from the Holy Spirit. 
by the time we left that restaurant, we stood up at the table and they hugged us. In fact, one of them said out of her own mouth, not us, she said, my biggest fear is that I'm going to die and go to hell. We didn't say it. See what I mean, how God is? Now, if we had said it, it would have been an offense. Here's another Christian judging me. But she said it. After we engaged and asked and listened and responded, then she said, my biggest fear is that I'll die and go to hell because I know this lifestyle is wrong. In fact, she, she, she wasn't even ready to go open with it yet. You know how they say, come out. That had been kind of the tension between the two of them at that time, that she wasn't ready to come out. Why? Because deep in her heart, she knew this isn't right. They said, we have never, ever talked to any Christians like this before who didn't come at us with judgment. What did we come at them with? The truth of God's word, the love of God. And what we all struggle with as believers is this feeling that I believe it comes from the enemy that uh, we aren't giving them the gospel and we aren't giving them the truth unless we say it a certain way. But what they needed in their first encounter with us was the love of God. We stood up from the table. They hugged us. Oh, I forgot another thing. One of them asked for prayer. She said, there's something going on in my body. She wouldn't tell us what it was. And would you just pray for me? We're like, absolutely, we'll pray. She teared up, just started crying. Just... It's amazing how you go from expecting you're going to have a war <laughs> to... Would you pray for me? And being hugged. And we stood up from the table and they hugged us. We, we got to the front door of the restaurant and they hugged us again. We walked outside the restaurant and they hugged us. We got to the car and they hugged us again <laughs> and said, we've got to do this again. And so we did. They have asked us to breakfast the next time. And we met them for breakfast. And in the second conversation, then... I was able to come on a little bit more stronger from the position. We did get into the political talks about gay marriage, and, and, um, and I asked the question, you know, the concern for those of us who are pastors is the whole thing about us being forced to perform gay marriages. But see, she didn't know. The second meeting, I'm testing you now. <laughs> but I couldn't do the testing on the first encounter. The first is just open. Let me see where you are. We'll show you where we are. Mainly, we'll show you where God is. The Bible says he, he lets his son and his reign be on everybody, the just and the unjust. Sunshine and rain, everybody gets. So we as believers can't withhold sunshine when people need it and withhold rain when people need it simply because of where they are. God doesn't do that. Every farmer in this region don't love God. But everybody gets the same weather that you get. <laughs> Sometimes there are some storms that do pass over. 
But isn't it amazing the way that God, he says, I provided for everybody. And he wants us as believers to now move into this position to see things from his perspective. What's God's perspective? That I love you where you are and I love you so much that I won't let you stay that way. And sometimes we want to move, move them on. You know, we, we, we focus on the second part. I don't want you to stay that way. But we must learn to get comfortable in this aspect of Jesus where he loved people where they are. And we'll just have to push back all those thoughts of the religious stuff that says, you must be one of them. You must agree with them. If I see you hanging out with them, then, you must, then that means you're condoning it. No, it doesn't. We all know the story of how Jesus dealt with the woman who was caught in adultery. It wasn't rumor. <laughs> it wasn't he said, she said. We're talking caught. And religion always does this. Religion always looks at the deeds and the actions of people. But God looks at people's heart. Why did they do what they do? So what Jesus saw was not just a woman who was an adulterer. What he saw was someone who was willing to risk death to experience just a small moment of feeling loved. Changes the total perspective, doesn't it? Jesus saw, one, saw someone who's willing to risk, because she knew the risk. She knew the penalty. But I'll risk death for a few moments in someone's arms so that I could feel loved, even if it's only temporarily. That's what God sees. So then he has to respond to the religious crowd that only sees your deeds, that only sees your flaws, that only sees our failures. And God looks at, because all of us are like that in some way or another. Just think about it. It may, be, may not be something as openly and bold as adultery, but all of us know there have been different areas in our lives and even still maybe having some, some struggles in different parts of our lives where we're willing to risk the consequences of this action just for the temporary relief of the pain. And what God does is the same thing he did for that woman. First, the way he, first thing he does is he puts away our accuser, the enemy. And even through religious folks, puts them away. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, nobody fits in that category. And then he says to us, like he did to her, where are your accusers? He restores us just like he did her and then gives us the same command. Go, sin no more. Why? Because I have forgiven you. I have accepted you. See the, see the pattern? I accepted you where you were, lifted you up, and now I'm telling you, we're not going to stay in this lifestyle. Let's go on this journey so that you can become all that I created you to be. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's what you are doing by helping us. We're changing the culture.
of Harrisburg because that's what's been there for years. I, I believe that's part of the strategy why God is raising up house, also raising up house churches because they have been so wounded by the church that they don't trust them anymore. Um, they won't even give them the opportunity to hurt them. Um, so we're, help, we're, we're changing the culture to one of back to what Jesus originally intended, to love people, to begin with where they are, and to help walk them along in their journey to God in a loving, compassionate way. Come on, would you join in with us right now? Come on, give the Lord a hand. Bless the Lord. I want you to know that none of that was in the script. We were going to talk about the spirit-filled life, but what we just described was the spirit-filled life. We were going to talk about building the gates. We were going to continue with the gate journey, and this week's gate was going to be the fountain gate. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, the restoration of the fountain gate. So the Lord wanted us to bring it this way today, that the release of the fountain gate, those raging rivers that I saw in that dream, that's what he's releasing in your family and our family. In this region where we are, the fountain gate is being restored. Can you imagine the, just, the, just the geyser? What's that, what's that geyser called? Old Faithful. <laughs> Can you imagine geysers all over this area? <laughs> just an explosion of water and power all over this region. Out of every house, out of every heart. And no matter what it is that the enemy has planted there, just think about it. He done set up all his stuff in your family and in your household, and now God's got this geyser. Look, say, you messed up. Once again, enemy, you planted all of your stuff over a geyser. <laughs> and it's about to blow. And we're not going to try to contain it. We're not going to try to cap it. You know, when they discover oil and it comes gushing up and they put a cap on it, here's what God said, no, I want oil to bust up all over this place with no cap. Nobody trying to control it without measure. Come on, just say, Lord, come on, break forth on us, Lord God, without measure. Let the river flow, raging rivers. Let it flow in my heart, God, in my household, no matter what my eyes see and what my ears may hear, Lord, we believe your report. We believe you, God. The day has come for the river to flow, for the geyser to blow. I hear a song in that. <laughs> we hear it, Lord God, and we say, bring it on. Bring it on. I know that's not a deeply religious way to say it, but that's how I hear it. God, bring it on. Let it just blow up in my house, in my heart, on my job, in the neighborhood. Just let it blow. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord praise today. Hallelujah.